listening to. Okay, is this awkward? Hi, I'm Jax. Hi, I'm Ash. So this episode is a continuation from the last episode where we discussed sexual assault. We have a special guest who's a professional and specializes in mental health and sexual assault. We do want to remind you, if you want to listen to this podcast at a different date, you can. Uh, Just please make sure you're ready for it. But I think this is quite an interesting episode as we'll be discussing different, different ways to help yourself in doing different things and keeping yourself positive. So Ash, who is our special guest? So we actually have someone very interesting with us today and I'm absolutely excited, you know, to have her with us. And joining us in today's episode is Raghavi, who works in student mental health services and is a part of the therapeutic support team at ANBU, which is the charity that we will be talking about. Raghavi is someone who's very passionate about raising awareness on mental health stigmas, improving accessibility to mental health services for the underrepresented communities and young people's mental health. And, you know, through her volunteering over the years, she's used her own lived experience as a platform to advocate within the Tamil community and is also working towards qualifying as a family therapist. Hello. Hey. Welcome, Raghavi. And that sounds amazing. So you're doing quite a bit into the sector as well. So it kind of focuses on being able to express your mental health and all the difficulties that come with it and being able to do that in a healthy way. That covers a lot of things, I think, especially for the community that you're representing as well. Um, But yeah, so you were talking about you're working for a charity, right, called Anbu. So what do they exactly do? Like, I've come across it in the past, but for our listeners, what does ANBU do? ANBU is a a Tamil organisation. Just a little background about it. So ANBU in Tamil translates into love, and it stands for Abuse Never Becomes Us. It's a UK-registered charity, and we support survivors of childhood sexual abuse um, in the Tamil community. We're a community-led organisation, and we have a whole diverse team of volunteers and survivors from a range of sectors, and this includes mental health services as well. We work as a community to really open up discussion and talk about childhood trauma, childhood sexual abuse, things that are taboo in our community and things that we don't always openly discuss with family members and there's support within the teams in terms of we do like art therapy groups, we do support groups. We also have an independent sexual advisor who gives advice on reporting and what kind of support you can get post an incident. So it is a very community-led group with loads of amazing individuals who are really passionate about this. And yeah, we've just been really trying to open up barriers and really break the silence on childhood sexual abuse in the community. Which is great, especially because it's something that definitely needs to be talked about more and broken down and prevented hopefully in the future as well. So that's great. Um, So how long have you been with Amber yourself, if we don't mind me asking? So I've been volunteering since last year. It's been an amazing experience so far and honestly an amazing community that I've joined and very strong and brave people that I've worked with who are truly inspirational. That sounds amazing and hopefully anyone who's listening go and check them out and hopefully if you need any help I'm sure there'll be someone who's willing to help you as well that'll be great. Okay so in this episode we're just going to go through a few topics and just 
go through some questions hopefully I'll answer any major questions that you guys might be having yeah, yeah I'd say let's do it I think we're I'd say let's get straight to it um straight into it and start with you know what exactly is sexual assault sexual abuse sexual harassment because Jax and I did a previous episode where we talked about it from our perspective but as somebody who works professionally in that field how would you define it perhaps or even help us acknowledge that this is what it is so i mean generally and by definition sexual assault is when a person male or female is coerced or physically forced to engage against their will or touches another person sexually without their consent consent being key here touching can be done with any part of the body or with any object uh, this can be for example touching through clothing as well as direct contact with the other person's skin and i know this is something that not many people know but even online activities is also considered a sexual offense um, such as intimate image abuse also known as revenge porn it can also be sharing someone's private sexual photographs without their consent it's also worth mentioning as well that stalking is uh, also considered under harassment um so things like cyber stalking even which is not something that a lot of people talk about but it's also um under a criminal offense so it is something that i've just given you a brief summary there are loads sure. of different yeah. uh, policies and different actual guidelines that cover what is act- what comes under these laws and what what you can potentially be pr- prosecuted for but in my view and from my perspective this is what i would put forward as sexual assault sure like we covered the law um like ash actually said the legal definition in the last episode yeah now that you know we have your perspective or even a more professional perspective of sexual assault um you we know what we're you know potentially looking out for and once you've either been in that position where you know you have been sexually assaulted so my question is then a two-strand question so as somebody who's you know been on the receiving end of it how do you then go from there in terms of you know how how do you deal with it what kind of help is available and the flip side of that is as somebody who is aware that somebody you know has gone through it what can you then do to help them it's a longer question but they both go hand in hand so it's more about the behavioral behavior pattern that i'm i'm trying to like look out for with my own experience with sexual assault and working within the the remit of sexual assault it's always been a it's been a very diff, a different experience i remember when it when i had experienced it it was really difficult talking about it really difficult finding what kind of help actually supported me which is why it's there's so much there's so many resources out there now and you know sometimes i think i wish i had this before because i would be able to access those resources i was also quite young i was 17 so it's really difficult to openly express myself at that age because we are kind of dominated by the social media culture we're dominated by people who are just actively silenced really and not able to express themselves so my experience was really really it was a very up and down period of trying to figure out what worked i did really struggle with my mental health i i struggled with suicide i struggled with self harm and it inevitably really tried to bring me down as an individual but there was things that worked for me that may not work for other people and this is where you know i kind of my mental health experience comes in because i really found support in community support groups so when i started sharing my experiences with other individuals that experienced the same in the same way um it really really helped because i didn't feel judged i didn't feel like um i was on my own and the fact that one thing that really surprised me it was is that it's more common than i thought so often when 
you know, someone is sexually assaulted, they feel isolated and they feel very alone and that no one else has gone through this. And especially in the Tamil community as well, because it's not really spoken about. I mean, we don't even talk about sex. We don't talk about anything taboo, right? It's always brushed yeah. under the carpet. It's a um, hush-hush thing, which we hush-hush. think of. Yeah, exactly. It's not cultural. It's not this. So exactly. it shouldn't be spoken about. Having a boyfriend is a problem, you know, like because, you know, you're not allowed to do things before marriage. You're not allowed to go around with someone. So it's always been something that I've always learned to just deal with on my own, talk to my, try and sort things out on my own. But eventually you bottle things up and then it overflows and you struggle a lot. So sure. um, it's just an outlet to find it and yeah, let it out as well. Yeah. So you have to find an outlet that works for you. But when I've worked in mental health, like, you know, a person who's who has been sexually assaulted, um, they'll generally experience high levels of distress um, immediately afterwards or even a few years afterwards it might not happen instantly but there are different spectrums of what someone might experience um someone might numb might feel numb and numb their feelings and then later on it kind of comes out or some people might feel high levels of distress really early on but everyone's experiences are very different and And also processing it as well like how you process it afterwards once you realize it how you process it must be a difficult uh, journey to take as well, right? Yeah, that is one of the things. I mean, one of my uh, key bits of what really, really helped as well was talking to others about how I felt. Even if I'm not talking about the incident in particular, actually talking about my feelings of what I've connected to the incident really helped because that was a way of me processing what had happened. But obviously, this is something that I would advise people to do when they feel ready, when they feel like they feel ready and also with someone that they trust, um, a trusted individual. And it doesn't have to be someone close to you. It can be a professional, so you can seek professional help. But I want to kind of remove that stigma of access professional help because I think it's so important to do that um, I know sometimes people are worried about um, you know waiting line waiting times for the NHS or um, having it on a record so that it could be used against them at any point but yeah. it, it's not the case because of the confidentialities and everything now being used yeah so it's really okay. important to just be aware of that and opening up about sexual assault it's not easy it's not easy at all but it can be really helpful because you're able to process the negative symptoms that come from sexual assault because a lot of survivors there's a really high percentage of survivors who developed symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder um and some of the symptoms of that are like nightmares and um high levels of anxiety and stress insomnia um, and everything like that i'm yeah. guessing as well right yeah so sometimes when you have symptoms like that you do need to kind of think about whether um professional self uh, professional help is uh, the support that you need i know loads of people who think okay no but i don't need that i need to i just want to talk about it completely fine and for those kind of individuals there's support groups there's commu- there's community charity groups um even our organiz- organization like anbu would help um and it a- enables you to speak about it and i think sometimes it's that stigma of actually going to get help is what keeps people away um and also not talking about it as a community in- itself i also think it's important to take care of yourself once person sure. incident you know some people neglect their self care neglect their their needs or things that used to make them happy they they don't do that anymore and sometimes they feel like a completely different person so I always think it's really important to just take that time to take care of yourself um, even if that's things like having a bath or um, putting on a face mask or something that actually reminds you that um, you're still here today and you're you're still alive you've I know it's a very traumatic experience but you know you've you've you're still here
here and small things like that like your everyday tasks really really cement that and really support you with that but like I said it's it's sometimes it's difficult to manage these negative symptoms and so that's where professional help comes in and you know the types of things that you might be you know referred to could be like CBT which is cognitive behavioral therapy or there's uh, trauma therapy that might be helpful and these sound really scary and intimidating scary yeah you know but there are always people that can support you through the process and you know like I always say it's a journey it's a journey of healing it has taken me years to really process everything and really go through this journey and that involved me volunteering because giving time to people really helps it involved me detaching myself from people and losing friendships even so it's been a loads of ups and downs but with a traumatic incident and with mental health it is it is up and downs and it's just accepting and, lo- and giving that love to yourself yeah and keeping yourself in a positive environment I'm guessing as well right yeah okay I, I think that's absolutely beautiful what you said that it is you know it's an up and down journey and it actually is is all about accepting that that journey is going to be an up and down journey but as a friend now or as somebody who's observed it you know as much as the onus is on the individual to make that acceptance what can I do as as you know a friend or an observer or, or that trusted person to make that journey easier you know there are sometimes you know you read about things like just you know tell them to get over it but obviously that's not correct so what can I do or what shouldn't I do as somebody who's trying to be there to help? I think as a friend, um, no one ever acknowledges this, but it's a really difficult part to play in someone's journey because you don't want to say the right thing and you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to um, hurt their feelings or make things worse for them. So it's a really difficult feeling. So I would always advise take care of yourself as well. Always, if you really feel like you can't help someone, find the help because that's always a one big step or is finding support for your friend but if you're I'm guessing like what if the friend doesn't want the support from someone else though like you need to always get consent from them before seeking the help right so what would you do in that situation where they've come and trusted you with information but feel like if you're not feeling capable of doing it uh, how would you like go back to them and say okay I can't help you but I can find you help but if they refuse that what was the, what's the best solution because I know loads of people who've gone through that type of situation and we discussed it, it previously as well and Jax and I had an, a debate of sorts in our previous <laughs> episode where you know Jax thought it would be best to act and I thought it would be best not to act so how, how do you find that balance or the right way? To be fair it's the person's choice um, it's their choice at the end of the day it is a really difficult topic because I, I know as a friend you care so much and you love them and you want them to get the right support and you want them to you know report it or you know get that support but it's their choice at the end of the day but as a friend the best thing to do is just listen and be non-judgmental non-judgmental and be a friend like um i know sometimes it's so easy to say be a friend but the yeah. bad friend is so key when it comes to situations key. like this just giving them that open environment to actually say anything and everything whether that's something as small as oh i've been sexually assaulted or whether it's something as big as the details and who and where and when you know and it's the right questions is key always you know open-ended questions always questions that give them the chance to talk and let and you take a step back and actually listen to them and let them because that's, yeah. that's something i was going to ask was do you take the like do you take lead or do you let them take lead or does that really depend on the person themselves i would say let them take the lead but it really depends on how comfortable they are first of all okay. if they're really uncomfortable then you don't want to be overpowering so you, you sure. i think one thing that is really important is being comfortable with silence even just mm. even 
sitting there and giving them your company and just sitting there with them. If they're if there's someone who you know wants to hold your hand, even something as small as that can go a long way oh, because wow. it really really supports them. Because sometimes people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to say anything. Yeah, they just don't want to be alone as well. Open up different mediums as well. So even if you can okay. like things like emailing or texting or voice notes even because voice notes is and I know we've become a virtual world since COVID but things like sure. that are really helpful because it gets rid of the barrier of face to face um, mm. which a lot of people struggle with FaceTiming and texting can also take away that kind of pressure of not being able to face someone but also be able to talk about it openly and also you know sometimes it's really key if, if you give them the things that they might need so any support they might need um, and you kind of go you're compassionate towards them and show empathy it can go a long way and I think that's the key thing here really. So my next question is how do you know when you're being sexually assaulted as many younger people go through it but don't completely understand what's going on? Especially in when the situation is when it's so untrusted like your mum could say just go and hug someone even though it's not with your consent, you're still in a safe environment. So technically, it's not sexual assault, but it's still without your consent. But there are other situations where you could be groomed and it could be they, the person themselves could make you feel like that's the right thing to do. So how would you know the difference in that type of situation? I think what I picked up from, from that as well is consent is really critical. 100%, I think it, yeah. it means that you, you've given permission um, or that someone has given you permission to engage in an intimate activity like that but any sexual con um, or even anything that that has something that makes you feel uncomfortable is um, illegal regardless um, I know there's like a very there's a high number a percentage of individuals that have experienced some type of sexual assault since the age of 16 which is a very concerning age because it's very young and when when you listen to people's experiences it comes from you know the feeling of feeling pressured forced uh, tricked into taking part in any kind of sexual exactly, activity yeah. with another person um, touched in a way that you don't like uh, without giving permission so it kind of it delves into whether you're comfortable if something made you feel uncomfortable and you didn't give permission for it then I think it comes under the remit of sexual assault sure. um, or a type of assault but as as someone when with especially with childhood sexual abuse and with younger um, survivors of sexual assault really difficult to actually un for them to understand what sexual assault is and exactly, yeah. I think that's why a lot of the time when we're older we come out and we talk about it because when we look back we're able to process it and actually be like no that was sexual abuse but at that age because there isn't the right type of education there isn't the right type of awareness it's not something that's prevalent and young children are not able to come forward especially in circumstances when it's a trusted adult as well when it's a trusted adult or yeah. a trusted family member as well um, it's really difficult for children to come to come forward and say something and I think in Tamil communities as well it's something where we've normalized if anything we've normalized different types of touching and different types of hugging and we're able to we show things in, in an unconventional way we show love or affection in an unconventional way and so children are not able to understand the difference whether or not that makes them uncomfortable or not they're not able to vocally express yeah. that I think that's something that our community are trying to overcome because we're slowly 
really trying to discuss this. We've got loads of charities coming about now and, you know, people are openly talking about it. But it is a shame that it's something that isn't openly talked about at a young age. I think it kind of continues from what um, the question I was asking earlier. But so from an outsider looking in, how would you notice if someone's been sexually assaulted without asking them? But like, is there any behavioural stuff that you can notice in a person like there's a lot of written stuff but from your experiences is there any specific key things you would look for if you are doubtful if someone has been in that situation this is a really difficult question because with um sexual assault it can it doesn't have a lot of behavioral behavioral like reactions a lot of individuals unless they openly talk about it it can be it can come down to like a mental health difficulty but there are some behaviors that people have spoken about like being feeling quite withdrawn from social uh, aspects of life being feeling quite low and depressed not engaging in activities or daily activities in terms of appearance sometimes they neglect their self-care so they're not looking as as they usually do sometimes they have problems in their sleeping patterns so they're not sleeping well and that kind of correlates with kind of other health conditions um, like feeling fatigued and feeling tired and nauseous some people find it really difficult to engage in intimate intimacy during relationships and so they have like they feel worried or an- anxious about having sex exa- for example so there are loads of different kind of things that attribute to behaviors but if you're looking out for something because some people are some people can seem like they're very put together and some people can seem like no my mental health is completely deteriorating so it is it is very individual and it is very in, like individual based but it's just key to notice if someone is struggling with their mental health you can support them in any way and I think that's what I think that would be my answer for this question. Is there a difference I mean even on our panel right now you know there's both of us who are female as in that's what we identify as and we've got Jax who's male but is is there a difference in in coming forward rates or even abuse rates or just you know in your work capacity do you notice you know differences? Um, Yes I do I think unfortunately in our day and age it's 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 quite difficult for like men to really express themselves, um, especially when it's something like sexual assault, because one, uh, they feel like it, it's not considered a sexual assault, sure. even though it is. And yeah. two, for them, it feels like it's affecting how they feel about their kind of their masculinity and how they feel about themselves as an individual. Because as a society, we tend to portray them as this strong and kind of strong person who doesn't have feelings, right? And it's something that sure. social media and movies and stuff like that has really pushed out there. So men tend to find it quite difficult. And in contrast, women are quite expressive, but also they can they can come about as quite withdrawn as well because a lot of times is things like reputation and things like what would other people think of me what would my future partners think of me or my current partner you know so there are loads of differences in in who comes forward but like statistically I think there's more of a chance of women coming forward about their mental health or sexual assault in comparison to men which is really concerning it's quite alarming but there's a higher rate of suicide in men which is what really really concerns me because it just shows that they're unable to express themselves and that's kind of like what what kind of pushes them to go through that through with that from a scientific point of view men and women deal with um, stress in different ways and there's like some research that suggests that men are openly they're able to talk about um, their emotions but they're less able to recognize their symptoms of mental health so they'll talk about feeling sad or feeling like 
feeling angry, but they're unable to actually recognize whether that's something that's a difficulty of their mental health or whether it's something that it just happens every day. So they tend they tend to downplay a lot, whereas women are a little bit more um, emotionally active. So we're more likely to talk about our mental health as such, um, which is which comes from stigma. It comes from how we've grown as a generation even and even like Tamil communities, just how our generations have changed and how our ancestors have dealt with but they've all just brushed it under the carpet because it's what they had to do because it's a way of survival and that's how they see it just pushing things under the carpet and trying to get on with things and it's interesting because the early time they're allowed to cry is at a funeral even so it's like yeah when are, when are we allowed to cry? Why is crying not normalized in the Tamil community? But yeah. it's something that people are trying to talk more. And I think it's just societal and cultural norms that play a big part in the divide and why men are less likely to come forward. Um, you know, parents, friends, gender stereotypes, um, just showing men as weak if they cry. And women are perceived as more emotional as well. And, you know, put in a box. And I think as a community, we, we tend to label people a lot and really put them in boxes which is something that we are obviously working on as a community trying to open these conversations but I think that that proves as a barrier to why men don't come forward as much I also notice as well I mean just from personal experience and having friends guys in my friends groups just that they don't talk to their their friends directly about anything that affects them um, they don't talk sure. about things like this in their groups um, I remember talking to a friend and they said we just talk about football and I'm like yeah. okay. So you talk about we, like, there's like limited amount of discussions that yeah, we guys have. Like, oh, I just I'm talking to my friend while I'm playing Call of Duty, and it's like it's interesting because it's there isn't really an actual space for people to openly talk about it. So why would they? But I think I'm, it's that. And it's also like because it's been such a like it's a generalized thing. Like even the ones who want to be vocal because the others aren't as vocal back, they want to get a give and take thing. So if they're not getting it back, they feel they don't want to share it in the first place. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's more of a give and take um, kind of society at the moment, isn't it? And even in because we're dominated by social media and all the cancel culture that's going on, people yeah. are really, um, you know, people are trying to be vocal, but then they're being put down for being vocal about it. Vocal so about it. Yeah. It's really um, difficult. It's a contradicting thing to be in. Thank I think you. for me, I mean, we've obviously we know what the problem is. You know, we know that there's lack of communication. There's per- perhaps the bigger problem is even lack of education education because you know for children for instance they in most instances don't even know that this is sexual assault or harassment of any sort and that's why they don't come forward and they can't process it until a very later age so is there a solution is there really a solution to bringing these numbers down or you know ultimately putting a stop to it what can we as individuals you know do like we've got a podcast we're trying to you know talk about the conversation but after a certain point conversation is only conversation right what are the concrete actions that we can take if any at all i think something that i like i picked up is education is key i think it needs to happen at all levels parents need to have open conversations with their children um you know young children need to start talk need to be able to talk about body parts and owning their body and child safeguarding and like overcoming that awkwardness about talking about sex and to young people and teenagers even because it was something that we felt awkward about from from the beginning because in a Tamil community we would never talk about it. And even in schools, they don't really make a like a major subject or anything like that. Like yeah. my sex education, I'll be honest, I didn't really have anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> so, even, like menstruation. 
frustration and that was no. was kind of it it just stopped at that so yeah and just talking about how to keep safe and like creating like those healthy debates about sex and about sexual assault even and making them aware that this is a problem is also so important i think you know when you're growing up you're quite oblivious that this is happening in the world you're quite oblivious to that loads of people are going through this because sometimes you're you grow up in a sheltered sheltered environment and i think that's important as well um i know it's a very difficult topic to open a conversation about but even if we're able to talk about it in an educational context and just keeping and allowing kids to talk about it within amongst themselves is really important but i know there are loads of safeguarding issues with that and there are loads of issues in terms of parents consenting for this to happen so i know that's something that is that we need to be quite progressive about as a community which will take some time of course and also it's just making sure that we talk about like healthy relationships even what is a healthy relationship what's a toxic relationship building those connections from a young age because as generations go younger younger um, people are getting involved in like, sexual relationships so it's really important to even talk about consent at a younger age especially as yeah, well yeah because i know with ambu we do loads of workshops with universities because um there is a lot there's a high predominant level of um uh, sexual assault in universities and so mm-hmm. even like workshops about consent is really important and even talking about things like gender equality with young girls and boys and not waiting till they're um older i think that's so important because it makes 100%. them grow up into a community where they're aware of different progressive issues that we have if they're aware of it at such a young age they will more most likely advocate for something and ad- and fight for it and fight for a cause so i think it's really hard to say that things like this will can be prevented because unfortunately with the day and age that we're in a lot of things are sexualized a lot of um a lot of times we come across cases where women are objectified or men are objectified and we're in a society where you know things like there's no safety panels when it goes to clubbing or alcohol consumption and drug consumption yeah. because we have grown up in a generation like that where it's so e- easy accessible in comparison to actual resources for health so mm-hmm. like getting drugs is more accessible so it's something that we have to educate and i think that's the most important part is talking about it and actually being able to use your platforms even like social media and talking about it within your work environments or uni group using your uni societies to raise awareness things like that are really key but also supporting organizations that do it as well i remember when i was younger came across a few uh, women's um, rape centers and i feel like just by me looking at their resources was supporting a really good cause that's so key as well but it's really difficult to say whether this is something that we can prevent but we can always grow in a generation that will actually advocate for it so i think in a sense that's a positive but in there's also a negative in that we can't completely prevent something like this that makes sense yeah so just another question which is do you con- uh, confront an abu- uh, abuser or do you not confront an abuser from an outside person as well as the victim themselves like this is something that's quite difficult for certain people obviously when you feel ready but if you are feeling ready what would the steps you would take if you 
Um, there is no right or wrong way of, of healing or in fact dealing with a perpetrator. What is important is not to put too much pressure on a survivor's healing journey, especially if you don't have any support around you or if you don't feel safe. Sure. Confrontation is a personal decision. It isn't necessarily a step for everyone. For some, this can be quite, like it can be re-triggering. Um, it can take them back to the person they were before the, their healing journey, healing. Yeah. which can be quite regressive and counterproductive. So. Um, um, and for those who may have taken a more restorative um, justice pass and, you know, they want to kind of um, confront their abuser, which is kind of an approach that, that they do with a professional person. Support, yeah. Um, it means that they have to face their perpetrator in a safe and controlled manner. And yeah. this is this is something that really has to be when they're ready. And yeah. it's kind of after working towards this. It's something that they yeah. work towards in therapy or another safe space. And for some, having this dialogue and taking back control can be helpful. Because yeah. I think that's kind of where it comes from. When you're confronting your abuser, it's kind of to take back that control and be able to um, rem remember like that, you know, this is not your fault and, you know, a kind of outlet in a way as well. So sure. I think what I would say is the most important thing um, would be focus on, focus on your healing. Um, every individual should decide for themselves what it is that brings them the most peace. You know, no one else can walk your path or make those decisions for you. But I think they need to really know what what will bring them peace and if it is confronting their abuser then to do it in a healthy and a safe way with either the support they need as well or someone who can support them um, sure. because it can have quite detrimental mental health kind of and perspective from it so just okay. definitely if you're ready but definitely seek the support that you need before you do it okay so if a person has confronted them what is there any like post care that you would like suggest if someone has confronted a person like obviously i'm guessing the major one is not to see the person ever again as much as possible to avoid that kind of scenario but is there anything else that they should be doing yeah just um you know just generally practicing self-care um really acknowledging how difficult it is as well acceptance is key accepting that this was a really hard process and it's something that you like you know you're yeah. so brave for doing it it's really really key but just really taking care of your mental health seeking that professional help if you need it maybe talking to a friend or family or or someone that can, you trust to really go through it with you and process what's just happened because it can always be quite re-triggering as well but having that support is really key okay thank you um so like you were saying like there's a the centers and everything like that so if a person doesn't want to go for a professional help themselves we kind of discussed it earlier what are the alternatives that they can take is there like the charities you're like anbu is a charity but are there any other charities as such who aren't professional such like nhs or something but will be able to still give you professional help in a more informal way i guess yeah absolutely like individuals can reflect and process in a variety of ways this doesn't have to be in a one-to-one -one ther like therapy context it can be they can there's creative outlets there's group therapy there's mindfulness which is um amazing and can be done like for a few minutes each day talking to friends and family when they're feeling comfortable there's so many opportunities in the community like some um charities have befrienders so people who volunteer to kind of be your friend and talk to you about things like this and you can meet up once a week obviously at the moment we can't but you oh, know in the yeah. future you know like we with ambu we have ambu safe space which is like a 
an open space for people to talk about loads of issues, not just sexual abuse, but they can talk about anything related to mental health. Relaxation techniques and mindfulness is really nice because it gives you tools on how to manage kind of the negative symptoms that you might experience post an incident or with your mental health. Um, it also helps with sleep hygiene, which is something that people struggle with, struggle with when they have mental health conditions or mental health difficulties. It also helps build emotional resilience. And this is something that you can do easily at, in the space of your own home and on your own or with someone as well. There's also like things like, like exercise, which is really underrated, but it really does build your resili resilience in a way in that it gives you happy hormones. When you exercise, you release endorphins and things like that are small things that can actually, you can implement into your life and it really, really uplifts you, like going for a walk or going to the gym that's something other things that are quite nice are like keeping a mood diary when you're able to visualize how your moods change or what kind of emotions you're feeling at different times in the day and even journaling um, talking about your feelings as well really helps because it's um seeing a pattern and you're able to better manage your emotions and better manage your the negative symptoms if you're able to see a pattern and see what kind of times you need to support or when what triggers you and what really hurt like you need that support for and writing down also um, I know loads of people do journaling it's a way of writing down how you feel at the end of the day or the beginning uh, loads of people do some like poetry spoken word as a way of kind of expressing how they feel which is really which is really nice but writing things down is a great way of exploring what's happened or exploring your emotions because you don't have to keep it you can throw it away you can rip it up because um, even that ripping up process is a way of it's quite therapeutic yeah and like you know some people like um creative stuff so getting like art poetry anything that gets you creative because it's um something that you enjoy and we always forget what we enjoy when we enjoy. go through something as traumatic because we go into a negative space and we forget yeah. the positives that we, yeah, are, so we, we can surround ourselves in yeah so we forget what we actually enjoyed at one point right um even like connecting with others as well is really nice um you know groups with a shared interest if there's groups that enjoy painting for example just being part of that is something quite nice as well because you when you feel very um when you're feeling low or you've gone through a traumatic experience you often feel quite withdrawn and you often Put, um, set back all of these kind of activities with or social activities but if you join a, um, a community it really brings you back to feeling settled with yourself and being able to communicate and talk about other things other than something that's happened to you in the past um, is also a way of distraction and it brings you back to enjoying the little things in life that you once enjoyed before these kind of things remind you that you are a strong person and you're, you're still here you are getting by each day and you know this too shall pass it's something that I always follow so it's just reminding yourself that you are that person that you're still here and you're you're still the same person um so i think that is something that i always found that's really really helped um and also some people find exploring spirituality is something that um, as a huge support. Um, I know so I used to, in my own personal experience, um, I'm Hindu and I used to go to the temple and it was really quiet and I would just sit there and even just sitting in a really quiet space really helped me because it got me out of the house but it also um, helped me explore something that I that instilled a sense of hope for me. So some people even go down that route as well.
well. Um, so there are loads of um, opportunities and um, alternative ways of supporting yourself. That was, that you covered was quite a, a few. That yeah, that was yeah. quite a few. <laughs> Which, yeah, when you think about it, you don't think there's this many like outlets you could have. But yeah, being creative is one of the main things that you didn't say. And that's amazing. Yeah. And then the last question I have is, it's more like an experience that I had where because I had been abused when I was younger and I was always in the mind space of, OK, make sure everyone's safe, make sure everything's happy, like is OK. I was very, very hesitant to even talk to a female because I was like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to act in a certain way and because I was attracted to the opposite sex for me talking to another female for a long period of time took a lot of struggle and I didn't know how to communicate is there any like tools or any techniques that you would say to follow like the major one that I personally uh, thought helped was communication that doesn't have to be with people that you don't know it could just be people females especially that you do know and just communicate find out what's okay what's not okay is there any other techniques that you've come across i think it's really i think what you said was very important communication is key asking questions and asking what makes them uncomfortable and what makes them comfortable a lot of people um i know in my experience as well i found it really difficult to have romantic relationships because i was unaware of what actually i what actually i needed to communicate and what i didn't and i was quite hesitant to communicate my needs especially when it came to things like intimacy and stuff so definitely really important to just be aware and just communicate but also be aware of um you know someone's body language how they're how they're reacting to things that you've said or done being aware of like what's happened if you if they haven't received any support or any therapeutic support just being aware of how you can you know of what their triggers are even or what can actually support them if, if they need the support and just creating that space where they're comfortable enough to tell you because sometimes I think in relationships that's the difficult part you're not able to talk about your past experiences because you're worried about being judged or you're not there's no space for a comfortable conversation about anything in relationships and this is really hard to develop as well is to have that healthy communication and have that healthy space that you know um there's no pressure to to be intimate there's no pressure to do things but, um and always ask for consent no matter how long you've been with someone or if you've started talking to them just always have consent and always ask for it and you know be aware of their body language be aware of what they're saying or what they're doing yeah i think and main giving that non-judgmental kind of um attitude towards things is so important i know especially in um relationships there is so much judgment for when it comes to um, previous partners or like things like body count which a lot which, of people struggle know, with yeah yeah which people talk about a lot and it's really um it's not a nice experience to really put someone down because of that a lot of people who have gone through sexual ch- uh, childhood sexual abuse do struggle to be intimate but then it can also be the other way where they um they try and get, regain control and have a lot of sexual they educate themselves as well from that and yeah because that's personally me where I went through something but I ended up trying to learn more try to research more about it and I tried to you know engage more in it so I ended up earning more about my sexual understanding my sexual sexuality a bit better I feel so I think 
that's definitely like so like so it's communication and education are the main things you would say yeah, then definitely okay. education just talking about it within your friends even um um i know a lot of the times um there's loads of like shows especially that came out on netflix and stuff about how people are often quite sexualized and no one and yeah. it's normal now right to do that yeah. you know if they're drunk they forget to ask for consent if they're if they think that a girl is very is very flirty she's giving them consent but it doesn't it's actually not the case that. sorry you can also regain consent as well like if you yeah. change your mind then you've changed your mind i think yeah. that's really we covered this in the last episode as well where we said like half an hour ago you might have said yes to something but as time went you could have like developed of no and people feel hesitant towards saying no after because they've said yes originally but it's yeah. okay to say no as soon as you feel a little bit of hesitation take your time you might regain it afterwards but it doesn't have to as well 100% I think that's what uh, like there are there are boundaries right healthy boundaries in relationships sure. are, are so crucial and it really helps build that uh, trust as well but I think when you're in when you're young and you're you're in that kind of mindset of being you know being quite sexually active just being um, able to educate yourself on being safe and being healthy and uh, knowing what healthy relationships entail as well it's really it's really important i think when you've gone through a traumatic experience or when you've grown up with um childhood sexual abuse and you've had to process those repercussions it's difficult to know what boundaries are and it's difficult to know what what's healthy and what's not because your experience might have been contradictory to that so yeah it's always kind of taking your time as well in a safe a safe place and you're also in that kind of healing process in the comfortable healing process then you should you should explore those kind of things but like i said individuals vary when it comes to relationships and some people are very different and there's no right or wrong for this as well i think sure. because we're so used to the cancel culture and really putting people down for being toxic for example, or putting people yeah. down for being um, like, you know, or something. Not, not sexually active or, yeah. you know, things like that. It's, it's just horrible. And I think that's something as a wider community people need to work on, not just the Tamil community, you know, just not being judgmental, even just being able to openly express that even things like opening, expressing that I'm on my period. Like it's so, not, yeah, it's, it's, normal, it's a struggling thing. It's a struggle in, um, like south asian communities we're not able to say it openly so even that's really important just having those conversations thank you uh, so yeah that kind of covers most of the questions that we had um did you have any questions ash or no i was i was actually going to say that i feel like the conversation has gone by so quick and we've pretty much yeah. what you know what raga we ended with like you know the creative aspect i think sums it up perfectly especially when she was like you know this too shall pass and i think for me all i would want to ask is then so if you know if you had to leave a survivor for instance who is listening or somebody who's struggling or somebody who wants to help or even jack and i with just one parting thought from your experience your workspace what would that be what is what what should we take away from this if it was just one thing having said that take all of it away with you but. yeah 100% <laughs> Um, I think the one thing that I really want to remind everyone that that has is a survivor is that you're loved, you're still here, and this too shall pass. Um, it's something that I've always really lived by. And just remi- remember how strong you really are, how how strong you are to even 
um, take that step to in your healing journey, I think that just shows how strong you are as a person. Sexual assault doesn't define you as a person. That's something I will always, always live by. So Thank you I couldn't have put it any more better. And I, I don't think I want to say anything after that. I think, yeah, sexual think assault doesn't define quite, yeah. you. It doesn't define you, yeah, but it's something that we definitely have to be more vocal about and more aware about as well i feel and hopefully yeah. this is just the start of that conversation and you know it carries forward and it you know have those conversations. more discussions exactly yeah. have them with your friends you know Jax and i had a debate on our previous podcast where we you know questioned each other's thought process so do that with your friends and change begins with us so let's let's not stop here right yeah 100 percent so i believe that brings us to the end of this episode we've i believe covered quite a lot and we've had some very extensive information from Raghavi and I just want to say thank you to Raghavi for being here on this episode with us today and you know sharing her insights into it and I hope it's been insightful for everybody who's been listening and yeah if you need any other help then the information that we've spoken about and covered is going to be on our Instagram profiles we do have a link tree link so you can click on there and download the document But other than that, if you do want to talk about something you're going through or just need that listening ear, we do have an anonymous form on the link as well. So reach out to us and we'll be happy to have that conversation. Yeah, feel free. We want to hear. Yeah, we always want to hear what you guys have to say and just generally any experiences that you've come across. And we really, really value your feedback. So get in touch with us and we would like to know, know what you have thought of the podcast so far. We're actually coming near to the end of season one. Yeah. We've only got, uh, what, another episode left? Yeah, just one more. Yeah. Yeah. So we really want to hear what you guys have to say because it's it, it's something that's very important to us. We want to improve our episodes as well as we want to know what topics you want to discuss. There's always going to be okay. topics that we, what we will have, but we want to hear what you guys have as well. Yeah, so make um, sure you drop us a message. And how do and if you've not heard any of the previous episodes or want to recap them or just want to, you know, share them with your friends, how can they do that, Jax? So they can go and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, and there's Instagram. And there's many, many smaller podcasts we also have our podcast on as well so do check check our link tree as well as anchor gives gives you a full list of all of them as well so hope you go and listen to the rest of the episodes we do cover a lot of topics on there as well and this has been a really insightful episode this one so i'm really glad you were able to cover it yeah exactly i've definitely learned a lot i'm guessing you've (laughs) learned a lot as well right i have i have it's genuinely been very very um educational I believe and that's that's what we covered you know educate and have those conversations and I'm glad that we did this today other than that see you in the next episode see you in the next episode you are listening to okay is this awkward? awkward